I mean, we, we went to Nigeria, and the moment you step out of the airport complex, there are people asking you, and they, they, they're no qualms whatsoever. The, they all knew an English phrase, and this is no denigration on the people. Right? Many of them incredibly poor who had nothing, and why wouldn't you want to seek to have more? And I, as an American, who have everything I've ever wanted from the moment I was born. So it has nothing to do with, with denigrating the people. Just simply, this is the phrase that they had, with a big smile on their faces, what do you have for me? And everywhere I went, and just about everyone I talked to, and in the villages, and the children, were asking that question. Now, it only makes sense. I mean, everything, everything I had told, you know, everything who I was told me I had something. Hello, and welcome again to Grace Maryville Weekly, which is a podcast ministry of Grace Community Church, located in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. The sermon you are about to hear is a part of a sermon series presented by Pastor Chris Reiser from the book of Matthew. Pastor Chris has sought to demonstrate that Jesus is the King, which is the overall theme of the book of Matthew. It is our goal to provide messages on Monday and Friday, weekly from the pulpit at Grace Community Church, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, and to call everyone to repent and believe. Let's listen now as Pastor Chris works exegetically through the text. For others, the problem seems far away, so they don't give. That's something happening out there. For some people, just talking about money is intimidating, so they don't want to talk or give. Well, there are some who say, someone else is doing it. There's someone else who will give to that. There's other people who will provide and... Then lastly, the sixth excuse that people make is that it just won't make a difference. I could give and give and nothing would change. Now, these are the top six reasons according to fundraising organizations, but we know that there is a deeper reason why people do not give. It's because we are fundamentally and inherently selfish. And more than that, or really, we, we are driven by that selfishness to cling tightly to our money and possessions because these provide for us our security, our comfort, and our pleasure. We view our money and possessions as providing these things that we so crave. However, the citizen of the kingdom of God realizes that only faith in and service of the king can provide true security, comfort, and pleasure. So he can easily give up what he has for the sake of serving the king and advancing his kingdom. The kingdom citizen is generous. And so what we'll see this morning is, That when we recognize that all true security, comfort, and pleasure come from serving our beloved king, then and only then can we exercise the strength and wisdom necessary to give to those who ask of us. Again, when we recognize that all true security, comfort, and pleasure come from serving our beloved king, then and only then can we exercise the strength and wisdom necessary to give to those who ask of us. Now, if you're back in Matthew chapter 5, You understand that where we are in the text is that Jesus is really presenting six illustrations of what it means to have a righteousness that surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees. And we are on illustration number five. Really, he's taking uh, instruction or teaching that the Pharisees gave, and he is bringing the proper biblical understanding to it. And he began by discussing or really correcting their understanding of the Old Testament law found in verse 38. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And They misunderstood or really misapplied this principle. See, this is a just law. As it was laid out in the Old Testament, it was a law that says the punishment must match the crime. 
It was a merciful law. It regulated the natural propensity of the human heart to seek retribution beyond the nature of the offense, and it was a preventative law. It restrained criminal acts through swift and sufficient punishment. In fact, the law was designed to keep people from having personal revenge against others. The Pharisees, however, had flipped it on its head. And instead, they were using this idea of an eye for an eye as a, as a means or really license to nurse grudges against others. You hurt me, I'll hurt you. You say something bad to me, I'll say something bad to you. You, you harm me, I'll harm you. They were using it and really essentially teaching that given certain circumstances that you could pursue your own personal justice or revenge. In fact, remember, we see this most clearly in their pursuit of revenge against whom? Jesus. He comes, he attacks them, their teaching, their standard of righteousness, and so their response is what? To, to plot to kill him, and they do. So that's the Pharisees' perversion. So Jesus, in verse 40, brings the proper corrective, or verse 39. He says, but I say to you, do not resist an evil person. You see, the law was never intended to be uh, used personally. The idea of an eye for an eye, it's a societal law. It's used to govern justice in society. When we are dealing with personal insult and personal injury, we are to deal with it entirely differently. In fact, we are, as Jesus says here, not to resist an evil person. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't hate evil, we don't do things to keep evil people from doing their evil. But as relates directly to us, remember this phrase, this really, it's, it's this phrase that governs the next four examples. When Jesus says, don't resist an evil person, he means at the very basic level, don't return evil for evil. You are not allowed to do that. You, may, you have no excuse for being evil, regardless of how evil someone is to you. And additionally, you may never take your own revenge. That is, even things that aren't directly evil, that are for the purpose of you exacting your own revenge on someone else, those are out of bounds when, there is, when a person has acted evilly against you. And we looked at the fact that really the idea of overcoming evil with good takes the kind of the, the passive side of not returning evil for evil and not taking your own revenge and extends it further to say this, you're to seek peace. You are in fact to minister, to do good to those who harm you, to actively look for ways to be a blessing to them. And really every one of the examples that Jesus gives is, is a way of doing that. It's not just, you know, don't or do evil in return. It is always do positive good in return. Overcome the evil with good. And he then gave four very practical and very challenging illustrations. The first thing that Jesus addresses is how a kingdom citizen responds to personal insult. That was in the end of verse 39. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him. The backhanded slap, the ultimate insult, is how, do, how are you going to respond when someone denigrates your character, when they attack you at the very core of your being? What should you do? Well, you can't return evil. You can't take your own revenge. But you're to go even further. You're to turn the other cheek. And we talked about that. That's to stay in relationship. That's to be willing to take another insult. To not run away, to not put someone at arm's length, but to say, I'll stay in this thing. I will, I will continue to pursue peace with you even when you are harming me. We talked about the fact that it doesn't mean that you can't ever defend yourself, that you can't have capital punishment in society, or that we have to be pacifists. It doesn't mean any of that. It means in relationship to personal insult, we are to press into the relationship, to do everything we can to make peace. Well, if that wasn't challenging enough, then Jesus says, well, how does a kingdom citizen respond to legal oppression? When someone is really trying to take legally, take the shirt off your back, that's what he deals with next. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Remember, each of these is related to the culture of Jesus' day. He's dealing with specific cultural issues. And here, you would have the idea of, a, of someone suing a poor person, perhaps someone who is in debt to another. It seems to be the idea they're in debtor's court. 
They can't repay. They don't have any money to repay. So this person who is coming against them sues them for their shirt. I'll take the shirt off your back. Well, how do you respond to that? How do you respond to that kind of oppression? Well, in the kingdom economy, a kingdom citizen says, if it will be to the benefit of the kingdom, as I can present Christ, you can not only have my shirt, you can take my cloak. And remember, that's the outer garment, the coat that the law couldn't take. See, that was even beyond the pale of legal giving. They couldn't come after your outer garment because that's what a poor person used to stay warm at night. But the heart, our heart attitude, even towards someone who is using the legal system to abuse us, is to say, if I can show you Jesus, I'll do it by giving you literally the shirt off my back, and then I'll go beyond that to give you my cloak. Luke, at the fact that that doesn't mean that Christians can't ever defend their legal rights. It doesn't mean they can't ever go to court, or that somehow they always have to you know, say, I'll pay more than what they're asked. And certainly it doesn't mean that Christians shouldn't ever try to address grievances between believers. But it does say this. And even if someone is abusing you legally, you are to have a joyful, graceful spirit which enables you to handle the lawsuit in such a way that points them to Jesus. We are to be willing to give up even legal rights when it will be a benefit for the gospel. And really, it all boils down to this. If you have to choose between a revengeful heart and losing everything, lose everything. Well, if that wasn't challenging, I mean, it just keeps getting more challenging. First personal insult, you turn the other cheek, you stay in relationship. Next, legal insult or legal oppression, you go beyond the law in order to demonstrate who Jesus is. And then how about government oppression? I mean, certainly we don't have to respond to that. Certainly we should rise up and throw that off. I mean, Jesus is the Messiah, right? He's going to deliver us from government oppression. Look what he says. This was last week. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. A very specific word that's used here, you are being pressed into governmental service or pressed into service in the army. You are, being, you are being asked, as it were, by a Roman soldier to come. He comes to you and he says, legally, you have to carry my pack, my weapons, or whatever it is, one mile for me. I'm tired. You need to carry my stuff. And the law says you have to do it. This was legal government oppression. Well, the way we are uh, not to respond, or, or what this doesn't mean, we said last week, it, it doesn't mean that the Christian has to obey government commands when they demand that we violate Scripture. We, we will never do that. Additionally, Christians may and should speak out against governmental evil. Christians can legally contest governmental evil, and they should vote for proper and, 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 and righteous legal change. They should be involved as much as is appropriate in the, in the governmental process. We, so it doesn't mean that you can't ever say anything to the government at all. But remember how challenging it was of what it actually means, that as Christians should silence the ignorance of foolish men through gracious submission to even the most difficult of governmental commands. This is hard to do, and it's growing increasingly difficult in our society where the government continues to press. They continue to put, put regulation after regulation upon us, and yet, in order to demonstrate Christ, in order to show, to silence the ignorance of unbelievers who know we ought to be obeying, even when they don't, they know we say that we are law-abiding citizens because we love our king and we obey his law. When we don't obey, they look and say, you're a hypocrite. And so we silence their ignorance by coming underneath even the most difficult things. I mean, you really think it's, it's profitable for you to stick the fish on the back end of your car and go 95 through a, through a 50? You're like, I can solve that problem. I'll take the fish off. <laughs> so most of you do. Hey, guys, that's a minor government law. I understand that. But you think an unbeliever doesn't look at that and go, hmm, Hmm. I do that. I mean, I, of course I do that, but you shouldn't, right? I mean, how simple is that? And of course it gets a lot harder than that, I understand. 
mean, it's a lot more complex than the speed limit, but that's kind of a basic limit. It's kind of a basic issue. You can't even do that. And so unbelievers look at us and go, well, who are you? Christians also, secondly, we said last week, they should desire to show Christ to the one oppressing them by having a joyful, graceful attitude. Remember that if someone is oppressing you, your goal is to try to stick in it long enough to show them Christ and if possible, speak to them Christ. It's kind of the idea of that second mile. That was personal interaction with that Roman soldier who was bringing the oppression. So you're going one mile, you're telling them about the king, the kingdom that you live in, which is different than the kingdom he serves, and that the reason you're serving him is because you serve that king, even though it's difficult for you to do. It gets to one mile, and it kind of in our, in our little scenario we set up, he's like, okay, I'll take my backpack back. And I go, oh, I'm keeping it. Because I'm going to tell you more. I'm going, to, I'm going to go with you more so I might show you who Jesus is. This isn't just to say, hey, oppress me more. Harm me more. Christians are not doormats in that sense. It is a willing, purposeful coming underneath oppression to show who Jesus is. Now, I mean, those are tremendously difficult. It almost seems, as we finally come to our text for this morning, that Jesus lightens up a bit. I mean, those were really hard, but let's look at this one. Right? Is Jesus actually then going to lighten up? Verse 42, But give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Now, this seems pretty basic. I mean, before it's supposed to be, you know, if legally you're getting harmed, go past the law. If, if the government is oppressing you, do more. Here we have, I mean, Christians know this already, right? We know we're supposed to give. The Old Testament tells us to give. The New Testament tells us to give. Now, I'm not saying giving's easy. I'm only saying it seems a little easier when someone has a legitimate need and they're being, you know, there's this poor person. It seems a little easier to give to them than, hey, the person who is suing you or the government, uh, you know, who's oppressing you. So is Jesus lightening up here? I don't think so. Remember the phrase that governs all four of these examples. What is it? That is, do not resist an evil person. I think what we have here is, again, it's not just any command to give, and we'll broaden it out. I mean, certainly Scripture speaks much of just general giving, and that is challenging. But I think what we have here, on the basis of the text, is an evil person demanding that you give to them. That is someone who is abusing the Old Testament laws that said, you have to give. You're required to give to a poor person. You're required to lend your own money without interest to someone who asks, it would appear to me that what's going on, I think in the context, is that you have someone who's done evil against you or with evil intent is trying to extort your money lawfully. Oh, and so maybe this is the hardest one. Maybe this is most difficult to do as because there is, here is this evil person from whom you will receive nothing in return and who has already given you active harm most likely. And Jesus says, you're supposed to give if they ask. Again, I can understand giving if someone really needs it. If someone is essentially trying to extort that money from me and they've done evil to me, I will fight tooth and nail. They're not going to get a cent. They don't deserve it. So if we consider in that light, which I believe is the light in which Jesus places it, this gets a lot more challenging because, again, on the outset, the principle is give and lend to those who ask. But I believe, A, this is the kingdom citizen's response to malicious Solicitation. Say that five times fast. Malicious solicitation. Not just, hey, give me some money, but I just harmed you. Oh, by the way, I'd like to get some money from you. Perhaps if I may give you an illustration, it might be something along the lines of you're up in Knoxville for a, a rally, a, a pro-life rally, and you, 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 know, you are doing good things. Maybe you're out even on the street and just graciously and kindly and, and gently encouraging people uh, you know, that, that abortion is wrong. And someone comes and is screaming at you and, 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 and yelling at you and, and doing everything but assaulting you personally and just coming after you. And then 
you're up in Knoxville the next day and they're walking along there, you're walking along the street and that person comes up to you and goes, hey, you're, you're a Christian, right? Didn't I see you yesterday? Well, you know, my, my car just broke down and you, you're a Christian, so I'd like you to help me out. Can't think of anyone else to help. My, you know, I'm a little short on cash right now. So would you just mind handing me over some, some cash, giving me something to help me out? You're a Christian, right? The Bible says you're supposed to do this right. Didn't Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5 that you are supposed to give to one who asks? Because these things happen. What are you going to do? How are you going to respond? What is your heart going to do? Well, I know what the initial response is. Get away from me. Who are you to ask something of me when you were vi when you were screaming and yelling at me yesterday? It could go on and on. So I would say that this most likely in involves, then back in Jesus' day, the invoking of Old Testament laws concerning these commands is kind of an ultimate insult. I'm going to be harmful to you, and then I'm going to try to get you to voluntarily serve me by giving me a handout or a loan. Not even legal oppression, not even government oppression, not a, not a slap across the face, but I'm just going to ask you to give me. I'm, I'm going to bring the law to bear on you and say, you should give of your resources. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 15 kind of lays out this law. Deuteronomy 15, 7. If there is a poor man with you, one of your brothers, in any of your towns in your land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor close your hand from your poor brother. <clears throat> but you shall freely open your hand to him and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. goes on to talk about it. You can't, uh, on the seventh year, they were supposed to undo debts. He goes, you can't say, let's say it's you know, six and a half, year six and a half, and the seventh year of Jubilee is coming or the, year, the seventh year of releasing debts. You can't say, no, sorry, I can't give to you because there's no way you're going to be able to give it back to me by year seven. So no matter what happened and whenever this was brought, and you can bet, guys, you can bet that in Old Testament Israel, there were those who would find year six and a half before year seven and the remission of debts. They come up and say, you know what? I'm pretty poor. The law says that you ought to, you ought to let me borrow from you. So I want to borrow this much, which would clearly be more than could be paid back in the half a year before it was supposed to be done. I mean, can you, I mean clearly that happened. So it's almost the same thing happening in the New Testament times. So give me more, help me out, and particularly in a malicious sense by someone who perhaps even had been harmful or was doing this for harmful reasons. Leviticus 25 speaks about lending. It says, Now in a case of the countrymen of yours, they become poor, and his means with regard to you falter. Then you are to sustain him like a stranger or sojourner that he may live with you. Do not take usurious interest from him, but revere your God that your countrymen may live with you. You shall not give out your silver at interest, nor your food for gain. So they're asking for a loan, and they're saying, and by the way, remember, you can't charge me any interest. I know that. I know what the law says, so just give me the money. And you can't have any profit at all. You're required to do this. Guys, again, think about how your heart will begin to grate, particularly in the sense that this is most likely someone who at least has some level of hostility against you. Go ahead and turn to Luke 6 to see the parallel passage. And I, I think this brings out a little bit of the negative idea here, that this is an enemy, not just a normal person, as it were, or someone who is truly in need necessarily that's asking you. Luke chapter 6 beginning in verse 30. Jesus says, Give to everyone who asks of you, and, whatever, and whoever takes away what is yours, I won't say that he being, well, something being stolen here, takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. 
If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But here it is. Love your enemies and do good and lend. See, we're talking, I think, largely the context here, an enemy. And we understand what it would be to lend to someone who's good or even maybe lend to someone who's got desperate need, but to lend to an enemy? Someone who hates me and wants my harm? It says, and your reward in heaven will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. Listen. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Now that's more for next week. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. Simply, I think that's the idea. You have an ungrateful, evil man who is saying, I want you to lend me without interest and I want you to give me your stuff. And what is the biblical command? Give and lend. Wow. You know, are we up to this? Are you up to this? Every time I look at this, I'm not sure I am. I only cling to the fact that what? I'm a kingdom citizen. And therefore God says that I have the strength and power to do these things. Otherwise, I'd look at this and go, this is simply not possible. It's not even right. I, I can't do it. But as a kingdom citizen, we can. See, again, because of our naturally selfish and stingy natures, it's hard enough to give when we see a real need, when people approach us even with grace and humility. But when people are rude, entitled, angry, or manipulative, we not only refuse to give our loan to them, we grow angry and bitter in our hearts. There are those of you, perhaps, who sit here this morning angry at those in America who demand things. Now again, we're going to talk about what this does not mean. And I understand that there's wisdom in giving. There is never to be bitterness and anger, frustration, sinful anger over those who, who, who we call the entitlement, those who want to be entitled. Guys, there are certain ways that we deal with them, but bitterness, anger, and frustration are never part of that equation. It's tough to do. Now, first, as we normally do, what does this not mean? Because already some of you are shifting in your chairs. You're uncomfortable. Wait a minute, are you saying that I have to give no matter what to anyone, anywhere? The answer is no. Am I saying you should have a desire to if you possibly could? Yes, but let's look at what it doesn't mean. And I want to be a little bit careful here. I'm going to put, oh, we are not required in front of each of these because I've been giving these points under what this does not mean. And if you catch it at the wrong time, it sounds like I'm telling you to do something wrong. So I'm not. What it doesn't mean, here we go, we are not required to give to the point of impoverishing ourselves. It's not a requirement. There may even be times when we work or move in that direction, but ultimately, 2 Corinthians 8.13, when Paul is asking them to give to the churches, to give to the churches in Jerusalem, he says this, This is not for the ease of others and your affliction, but by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need, so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need, that there may be equality. That's the general principle of giving. It's not to impoverish. And this is linked directly to 1 Timothy 5a, because if you impoverish yourself, you're probably going to abuse or, or default on a command of Scripture that says you're supposed to provide for your family. So 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now be careful here. The level of provision you make for your family, we're going to reference that towards the end. A lot of people say, well, I'm not giving you anything. I've got to provide for my family. Well, how much? And exactly what is it that your family wants that you really want to, we'll, we'll go there. But the bottom line is that you are required to care for your family. So to give everything away in the sense of then where you can't provide for your family wouldn't be biblical. So just understand that. That's not what's being asked here. Next, under what that doesn't mean, we're not required to give everything that is asked of us. It says we are to give and certainly have the desire to give when asked. 
But there are times when people ask for much more than we could ever give. I had a good friend one time who was out ministering to the poor, and he drove up in his Jeep. It was actually kind of a beat-up old Jeep. It wasn't a real nice thing. But he gets out. He's ministering to, to some of the people there. And the guy uh, came up to him and said, well, thanks for I think they'd given some food or whatever. Thanks for that, but I want your Jeep. Say, you want my Jeep? He goes, yeah, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't Jesus say that you're supposed to give of whoever asks? You think people don't know Scripture? You think they don't know, understand these things? And they looked at him and just graciously said, yeah, that Jeep gets me back and forth to work so I can make money for my family because I need to provide for them so I can't give it to you. I've already given you what I can. I've already given you what I came here to give, which was not only food, but as we will see the next thing that we we're supposed to give, it was also the gospel because that's third here. We're not always required to give physical resources to everyone who asks. Because you might not even have them, or as we've already said, you might not be able to give them. And someone comes up and says, I want you to give me that. And you say no. Anywhere in the Bible where that happened? Absolutely. Let's go to Acts chapter 3. Very fascinating. We see that we see a practical application of, of giving in one sense to the poor, fleshed out in Acts chapter 3. You've got Peter and John going to the temple. You remember this. So they're going to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms for those who were entering the temple. Now, this is not an enemy, but nonetheless, this is someone who has need and who is, who is begging at the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began to ask to receive alms. Right? He was begging, I, I need some money. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze upon him and said, Look at us. Okay, he began to receive. He began to give them his attention. Why? Expecting to receive something. Great. He wants me to look. He's going to give me some money. He asked, right? Give me money. And so shouldn't Peter and John reach into their pockets, according to Matthew chapter five, and say, "Here's some money." Look what they do. Peter says, "I do not possess silver and gold." Now let's be careful here. Do you think Peter had enough money to buy bread for the day? I'm not saying he had it on him, but did Peter have some money? I think we would have to say yes. He's not saying, I don't have any money anywhere. I couldn't go sell something and give it to you. I don't think that's what he's saying. Perhaps he didn't have anything on him, but I still don't think that's the issue either. I don't possess silver or gold. I don't have additional. I don't have extra. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. Seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up. Immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. He entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. I believe we see a conversion here as well. And Peter gives him that which was much better than silver and gold. Now, don't get too excited here. I'm not saying that you will then walk along and heal people. Peter was an apostle. He was granted this as a picture and an affirmation of his apostleship and the establishment of the church. So you're not going to go do that, but here's what you are going to give. You're going to give the power of God. I don't have alms for you, but I do have something for you. I have the gospel. So in the name of Jesus Christ, repent and believe. That's a great thing to give. Now, I'm not saying that that's always going to be well received. <laughs> but it is something you can give. Now, again, hear me. I'm not saying that you couldn't or shouldn't give if you can financially. We're not abrogating that. We're saying, oh, I just give the gospel. I never give anybody any of my physical resources. We're not saying that. But you can give that when you have nothing to give or when it isn't the right time to give. Or the last one here. Oh, by the way, under, under we're not required to give physical resources to everyone who asks. There might be too many people who ask. I mean, we, we went to Nigeria, and the moment you step out of the airport complex, there are people asking you, and they, they have, there are no qualms whatsoever. The, they all knew an English phrase, and this is no denigration on the people. 
Right? Many of them incredibly poor who had nothing, and why wouldn't you want to seek to have more? And I, as an American, who have everything I've ever wanted from the moment I was born. So it has nothing to do with, with denigrating the people. Just simply, this is the phrase that they had. With a big smile on their faces, what do you have for me? And everywhere I went, and just about everyone I talked to, and in the villages and the children, were asking that question. Now, it only makes sense. I mean, everything, everything I had told, you know, everything who I was told me I had something. She goes, there's no way I could give to everybody. I just started handing stuff out, and pretty soon, I mean, we, we took balloons. We took like 3,000 balloons. Just that little thing to give, and that was gone. I mean, first village, we'd have given them all out. Thank you for joining us again on Grace Maryville Weekly. These messages are just a small collection of sermons that have been presented at Grace Community Church in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. If you would like to learn more about Grace Community Church, where Pastor Chris serves as an elder and pastor, please visit us online at gracemaryville.org. Again, that is gracemaryville.org. There, not only will you be able to find out more about the many ministries at Grace, but you will also be able to access a full audio archive of messages not only presented by Pastor Chris, but also messages presented to our women's ministry, youth ministry, and college-aged ministries, as well as the Sola and Essentials conferences hosted at Grace. We invite you to visit us online And we hope that you will join us again next time as Pastor Chris continues to exegetically work through the book of Matthew. Until then, remember that Jesus is the King, and the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ.